Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Eric from White Wizard, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, Weatherzoids, this is Luna from Holy Grail, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Shred on. Hey, this is James J. LaRue, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome one and all to episode 26 of the Mars Attacks podcast. 
I am your host, Victor. And before going any further, I just want to remind you, as usual, if you're listening to this via Blabbermouth or any other site, you can download this specific podcast from iTunes and from MarsAttacksRadio.com. In any event, this specific episode will feature an interview with former Holy Grail and White Wizard guitarist James J. LaRue. That's right, former Holy Grail guitarist. He's still listed on all of their sites uh, as being the current guitarist. Um, He also mentions during the interview that Blake Mount is listed as their bass player, and he hasn't. neither one has been with the band since the recording of the album Crisis in Utopia. And this is an album that I highly recommend checking out, regardless of who's currently in the band. Um, the album is great, in my opinion. One of the better albums to come out last year. Um, and if you listen to the interview in its entirety, you'll hear that James mentions that the album does not end up sounding anywhere near what the original demo tracks and what they originally presented in the studio sounded like. Uh, So rather interesting. He makes a lot of uh, different interesting points regarding Holy Grail, regarding his time in White Wizard, and regarding his future, which it'll be interesting to see what he ends up pursuing. But uh, yeah, for now, we have his work with both groups, And um, let's check out another song by Holy Grail. We uh, checked out Immortal Man. Let's go ahead and, and check out the track Fight to Kill coming off of Crisis in Utopia. And after that, we'll jump headfirst into the interview.
far as recording goes, the last thing, to my knowledge, that you released was the uh, album with Holy Grail. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that experience recording Crisis in Utopia. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was how can I put it? It was it was, it was an experience for sure. Uh, it was a lengthy process that got. Uh, very confused from what uh, originally, you know, we had a, a pretty clear plan set out um, with a uh, somewhat loose timeline, like uh, we were supposed to demo the album ourselves completely, have it completely done, recorded, everything written, 100% done um, on our own gear. You know, Tyler's a, a pretty good engineer with Pro Tools, and um, I like recording all my own stuff, you know, so we were going to do that go into the studio with uh, Danny Lohner and, and basically he was under the uh, understanding uh, when we, when he signed on board uh, that we were going to come with all the tracks already done uh, in a pro Tools session. And we were just going to go through and replace everything with real takes using real tones and uh, getting good performances. And then, you know, maybe change things here or there um, as he saw we should change as a producer but what happened when we actually uh, everything got booked and when we actually started, um, we were not we didn't really have that done. You know, um, I think I had like uh, I forgot how many songs uh, and my the way I did it, mine were all fleshed out completely. They had like uh, sequenced drums and, uh, you know, kind of like some production and stuff. And then Eli was awesome. He had like uh, like 180 something riffs. Um, not so much like complete songs, but like so many riffs to choose from, but that's right. all we had, you know, we were supposed to have, we didn't have any lyrics written. We didn't have any, um, any, you know, so, uh, from the get go, we were sort of, um, we weren't really where we were supposed to be. And, um, and I don't think Danny was, uh, ready for that cause he was expecting something else, you know? And then, uh, in the middle of that, um, we got booked on some different tours and, and other things came up to where we had to drop what we were doing. And so it was pretty distracting because when we'd come back, it wasn't like uh, we just opened the session and everything was where it was, like files were missing. And like huh. in the time that we were gone, you know, other things had happened. So like it was kind of a real confusing process, which I think um, was a detriment to the album, you know, hearing it now and 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 it it got saved by you know there's a lot of people a lot of hands touched that album a lot of different engineers and and stuff like that so it's sort of um i don't necessarily think it sounds like uh us or like like the band at the time you know uh it, it right. it's got a lot of people's uh fingerprint on it but uh it, it's a i think it's a quality product um mm -hmm. not exactly what I, I had envisioned it to sound like but um that's what happens you know if we had been on top of our game or we, we could have, I think had more control over it, you know? Okay. Um, what was it like working with Danny? Cause Danny, uh, for the most part is known more for, you know, remixes or his work in, in nine inch nails. But mm -hmm. I think this is probably the first time, at least to my knowledge that he's worked producing say a metal album. Yeah. I think that was, uh, that was something he brought up to us too. It's like, you know, he wanted this, to be good because it was sort of his debut as a metal album producer and he didn't want to, uh, you know, have his name on something that wasn't good as his day, his like, you know, um, his, uh, production debut for, a, for like a, a metal band. And, uh, that was good because, you know, it meant that he wanted to, um, 
go above and beyond like what the budget was basically and um and i think he had like the best intentions uh but, but yeah i mean he had never worked with it i think i don't think he was ready i mean i i i say this with sympathy for him that for for the amount of like fixing and editing and all that there's like a lot of notes on our record i mean we like <laughs> that you know it, and uh, it's a lot you know i mean a lot of guitar solos a lot of uh, busy drums from time to time and just uh, a lot of parts and that's a lot of things to scrutinize where i think he's um he was used to a lot of his work is you know with uh, say a vocalist um and then maybe he'll do a remix i know like the hollywood undead stuff that he's done is more like a loop or whatever if you get a loop off of a uh, sampler or if you sequence one on the computer it's basically one stereo track sometimes or whatever but with us we just had tracks and tracks and tracks so I, I, I have a feeling you'd want to ask him about this but I have a feeling he's probably overwhelmed uh, quite a bit because uh, it was more than he had uh, bargained for you know having to deal with gotcha okay and um, what differences were there between doing Crisis and Utopia then what you you had recorded say um on the high speed gto uh ep oh it was it was it was very different you know and and i only i realize this mostly in retrospect last few months just absorbing everything that's happened to me over the last few years i've kind of like i wouldn't want to say close that chapter but i'm kind of like you know uh, i'm looking back at all of that and uh the high speed GTO, um, well, it wasn't even called that at the time. You know, we were just uh, in the studio with a, a friend of ours, Chris Rakestraw, who um, he's got a studio in, in Hollywood, and uh, it was fun. Uh, there were there's always trying times, and uh, you know, if there's a difference on an opinion uh, how a song should go at, or something, that's just part of the game. But it was a different kind of an attitude. We, we were we felt like you know we didn't really know what it was going to sound like we just wanted to make it cool and, and as long as it like you know at least for me when the guitar parts came back sounded good or the, i liked the tones or the whatever and for the vocals like, oh that's cool you know that was you know i got more excited about it and uh there was a moment there where uh, we had lyrics um to a song and they just weren't working out and so on the spot luna and i just said let's rewrite this whole song and so we we totally did and that was um uh, fight to kill i believe you know and so we just wrote the, the the lyrics that are in there now like in i don't know like an hour or something and recorded them right then so it was like creative and fun and there was no the only pressure was on ourselves to to make it uh w what we thought was good and then crisis in utopia it was very much phone calls all the time phone meetings with management and label like oh well this song title's not good we can't call it this or like uh you know <laughs> This I think this song is going to be better for like everything was there's so much pressure, at least on me to, to make this album um, the best album ever. And like everything had to be perfect, but it had to be marketable. But it had but we didn't want to be cheesy, but we, we wanted to be old school, but not retro. It was such a, a, um, a game of like walking a very fine line that it wasn't fun at all. And so many um technical issues with the files and stuff having to re-record stuff you get a good take that you like oh i, I lost that okay crap we got to do it again and um and then also inside the band you know there was some stuff i, I worked on that uh, i liked and then like some you know like maybe someone else would be like oh that sounds too much like lord of the rings you got to change that oh crap i just spent all day on this you know 
And that's just <laughs> it's just part of it, you know, it's part of the creative thing. But it was because there was such a spotlight on it and we felt like it was so important and critical that we get it perfect, it it wasn't like a fun artistic outlet anymore. It was like trying to do a real good job. And I took it real seriously. You know, I was pretty much living with Danny there at his place and just there every day working, editing, recording all the stuff myself, you know, my own solos and everything. And, and it just, uh, it became a, a chore soon, you know, and, it, and eventually it was just, uh, you know, but that's, uh, I think anything that's, you know, great results require hard work, I guess. So right. that's just how it goes. Okay. Um, so you were involved pretty much in the songwriting process, uh, at least uh, throughout the, the entire album, if you're rewriting things on the spot and um, and having to change parts, as you're saying, left and right. You, you were involved. How much of a percentage of the album was written by you, would you say? Well, actually, you know, what's on the album, I um, I don't have a copy of the album, but uh, I think what I looked at online um, – I think there, there's a song that uh, I spent a lot of time on that I just is cut. I think because in the time crunch, they actually ended up they ended up uh, sending it out to Mark in uh, Florida to mix it, and um, just because like the we kept missing our these deadlines, and that was another thing which I think was counterproductive to. Uh, it kept a fire under us, but it, it, it made things so tense for me that the creativity was kind of stifled was that we had these deadlines, but we'd never mm-hmm. meet, we'd never meet them. It was like, we had like a million different deadlines, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I, did, I, you know, I, I wrote a lot of parts, but I think most of the, um, aside from the, the music that was on the EP that made it to the album, the, the other right. new songs are mostly Eli's writing. And he really, I think, save this thing um i had sort of like a weird little breakdown during the process when when we started recording where i i uh i was questioning everything because it wasn't going at all how we planned we weren't you know none of the lyrics had be like we had agreed to be at a certain point within the band and we weren't at that stage we didn't have everything laid out like we were supposed to and okay. I'm the kind of person like when there's when, oh, crap, control is lost and I don't know what's going to happen. It's uncertain. I kind of shut down a bit. And um, so, you know, I think, you know, uh, most of, you know, like uh, there's a song. Um, what do they call it? Uh, Nocturne and D. All the all the names got changed. So Nocturne and D minor, I think, which is actually already a piece by a classical composer. But uh, that 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 was 100 percent. uh written by me and then i had um mary and anna from elveti uh i still can't pronounce that band name they uh <laughs> they uh you know did heard gertie violin uh flute and stuff like that um and then um blackest night or darkest night again i'm sorry because like, these names have been changed since i wrote you know we wrote <laughs> the stuff um that song was another one of my songs um but the other ones were like like last attack that's a it's an eli song um, and I think he wrote really some great stuff. He brought like a whole new, uh, uh, kind of a sound to the band where, you know, it took us away from just being like an old school metal kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The, the blackest night is the, uh, song you were just mentioning. Yeah. That was called, uh, at night he creeps, but, uh, the word creeps was felt, they said it was too cheesy or something. So we had to take the word creeps out of it, which was in the lyrics and everything. So it's like, all right. So, 
You know, that, that's odd because the way that prosthetics sort of um, promotes themselves, and I think they're a great label, but they sort of promote themselves as being, uh, I don't know, like almost like a new up-and-coming free-spirited type deal. And Well, yeah, that wasn't the label, though. That was within the band, that particular decision. Okay. That the creeps sounded too chilly. I think I think I think Danny, I can't remember if if yeah I didn't like. I know Tyler didn't like it, and um, that's cool. I mean, every you know everyone's got a different. We we listen to different kind of music and think different things are cool. It's like I love World of Warcraft, and okay. like I'm a huge nerd, like totally. <laughs> and and um, so like I'm naturally going to have songs that are about aliens or dragons or or whatever. And um, right. And that's, you know, that's not tough or cool or whatever. I get it. I understand. But it's just um, and that's one thing, too, that it kind of like towards the end there, I was I'm realizing, you know, the, the, the direction this band's going and with different lineup changes and stuff, um, there's I, I would never say it's not cool or it's wrong or anything, but it's just very much not me anymore. You know, so like gotcha. um, I it's very little when I, I hear that album. I've never listened to Crisis in Utopia front to back, but, you know, I've, I've checked out the tracks and I, and I just I don't hear very much of myself in it, you know, and that's gotcha. OK. You know, it's it's I'm only a, 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 a cog in the machine, but uh, so it's definitely uh, I don't really know who it represents, honestly, because I think it's very homogenized, you know, um, sounding. Uh, it's got a little bit of everyone, but mm-hmm. it's kind of I don't know. So. So. I've also noticed that the band is currently on tour, but we're here talking. So, yes. are you still in the band? Are you out of the band? No, what's, I, what's um, the story? I I left the band, um, and I'm not good with remembering dates and stuff. But it was okay right prior to the uh, Exodus tour, and oh, I know it was like August, probably August 9th is the actual official day. I think uh, I read like a Wikipedia entry. They they've pulled our Wikipedia page, you know. But uh, right. that that had the date wrong. That said, like on July something, James Larue announced by Facebook that he, you know, but it wasn't. It was I remember because I had uh, it was my birthday is August seventh. We were in Austria, and then um, like a couple days later, we were back in the states, and that's when I I quit. And um, but then I did the Exodus tour just because, um, uh, you know, in the past I had seen that the band wasn't necessarily very proactive in trying to find new members, like when. We got uh, Jesse Sanchez on bass to mm-hmm. uh, replace Blake Mount. I kind of felt like I had to, I had to handle that pretty much, uh, train him, meet with him, go over all the songs with him and stuff, which also interfered with the recording thing. It was just one more thing to you know to handle at the same time. But um, so I mean I knew it's like okay these guys are not you know going to find someone to play the tour that quick. And I didn't I hate like when I feel like I've screwed people over or something. So. I just uh, said, well, let me do this tour, you know, and um, I'm really glad I did, um, like, bonded by, I mean, Exodus is great, Gary's a great guy, he was really nice to us, he was the first time that I felt like, wow, like, he's a real guy, he's not worried about, like, price matches on the merch, like, he's, you know, he, he's just, he was very welcoming, but, right. like, bonded by blood, those are some of my, like, best buddies now, so really glad to have, like, been on that tour, and I'm I'm, I'm glad I did it. But I'm also glad that that was the last. It was the timing was good for me, I think. Um, okay. But it's confusing. I think I'm still on the website or on the Facebook page. I know Blake Mount yeah. is on there too. I get, I still get like people. Oh, I saw you last night, and whatever. I'm like, well, no, you didn't. But 
but I'm glad you enjoyed the show, you know, like, so, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the deal. I know the policy within the band and I understand it, uh, is until you find a solid member, you don't want to have like only two or three band members listed on your page. Cause it, it doesn't look good. Like, Oh, what's this band? They don't have a, it's not a full band or whatever. Like that was something with white wizard too. Like when, uh, you know, when, when, Luna and, and uh, Tyler and I had left White Wizard. Uh, as far from my understanding, uh, when Eric was approached by by John Leon, or, or Prosthetic, I think was actually approached. I, I don't remember how this went down, but I think it was uh, he was uh, representing the band as like still being together. You know, you don't want to say, "Oh, it's just me. I'm the only guy." But I'm trying <laughs> right. to get the band together. So I think they, I mean, Grail might feel like you know it's best to keep. Uh, Blake and my name on there instead of saying putting a question mark um, right I don't know I mean they have a full band but I think I think it's it might be like they want to wait to see who the permanent line they don't want to rush to a decision uh, with replacement members right I mean that that was the whole thing too is that uh, we'd been talking back and forth and then all of a sudden I'd seen you know that um that the band was going on tour. And then I kept going back to the uh, MySpace page and thinking, all right, well, James is still listed there, so I guess he's still a member. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe he's sitting this tour out. Who knows, you know? And then that's why yeah. I wanted to make it a point to um, to bring it yeah. up during the interview. So, in other words, things just weren't fun for you anymore? Why did you – why exactly correct. did you decide? Okay. Well, yeah, things weren't – I mean – it's 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 sort of a compound. It, it's um, it, things were definitely not fun, and um, you know I can take a, a large. I'll, I'll just blame myself for that because what I did, um, and you know this is probably a mistake on my part now is is I put the band first. I, I um, was living out of the rehearsal studio or in the van or at Danny's house. I didn't have no like job. No, nothing, no, like, no girlfriend, no outside activities, no uh, anything. Uh, and um, because I figured, you know, I have to, it's going to take everything from me to, to get this off the ground from, from all of us, but just my own personal commitment was, was going to be that. And um, I don't think that's actually a, now, I don't think that's a good idea because all your happiness or satisfaction in life, then like it has to come from that one thing, in this case, the band. And that puts right. a lot of strain. Just like a relationship, like if uh, you look to find all your happiness from another person, it just puts a lot of strain on, on the relationship. It's kind of a lot to expect. And um, so I put all my eggs in one basket, and I think it, it ultimately it, was, it just gave me a lot of grief. And it, obviously we don't make any money in this industry. No, no one's making any money. I haven't seen a dime off any of this stuff. But it's cool if you get like an artistic satisfaction and then – when things keep getting changed around, the music's not what you really wanted to make, or you know, it's not the experiences you want to have, and there's there was just no reward. It was just all it seemed like duties and work, which right. uh, I have a, a history of just uh, you know doing things because I feel I should rather than because I want to. Right. So February, I think it was around Feb when uh, we started recording. I had this sort of a like emotional breakdown where I'm like, I don't really know why I'm doing this. I went up to the Bay Area and I watched one of my uh, good friends, uh, Saviors, who we had done a tour with. And um, 
there's something about that band. Every time I see them live, it, it reminds me like, oh, this is what it's about. Like these guys are for real, you know, and uh, right. got kind of stoked again. So I came back down. I said, all right, let's make the best album uh, we can make. And, you know, and sort of I tried to like get back into it, but it just uh, I don't know. I lost sight of the whole creative thing and it just became a, a job. And right. uh, but, th you know, there's a straw that that the that broke the camel's back, as they say. Some, you know, we had some, some things went down and there, you know, there's things that caused my actual departure, but I was very unhappy since February. Gotcha. Okay. So there was definitely a spark there yeah. where you, where you said, you know what? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've, that's I've it. I've come this far. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, We've also talked sort of on the side back and forth there about uh, you being interested in other types of music outside of metal. One of the things that uh, caught my attention is you sort of said, you know, if you want to record some bluegrass stuff that you want to be at liberty to record bluegrass or blues or rock or, or whatever it was. Uh -huh. um, if you were to sit down and record something now, would it be all over the place? Would it be focused in one genre? What would you prefer? Oh, it would be all over the place, and and not that's not a good thing. I'm I'm in the process of sort of getting my head together uh, and getting. I'm focusing now on myself pretty much first because I realized like like they say in like a relationship, it's like you got to be happy first, or you're never gonna be happy with someone else. Same thing with music. Um, you know, um, I've I've been learning some new software and and developing just another skill set and starting to record a bit and um you know the stuff i record for myself and uh, nothing's really coming out easily right now but i you know it will it, it i'm never i never just like flow all the time you know what i mean it'll just come out in, in spurts that, right at the time you, you mentioned like bluegrass it, it's something i've always liked um, um that jazz anything i tend to like music that's got a lot of notes and virtuosic mm -hmm. playing so that's just what I'm drawn to. So anything that's uh, shreddy per se, or like even if it's like violin solo that's really fast in classical music, that sounds awesome to me. Or bluegrass is is another outlet where also you know what it represents is it's it's not a music to get try to get famous or or be a star playing. It's it's a kind of a cultural thing and and uh, um, it, it it reminds me of uh, I want to remember why I like music because. I ended up hating music and never wanting to play it again. And I know like uh, something's seriously wrong if that's the case. So uh, right now I'm, I'm sort of jumbled, but amidst all that, um, I, I started uh, working with uh, another project and right now we're recording some songs. It's, it actually is metal uh, again, okay. but it's, uh, I'm approaching <laughs> it very differently and very, um, cautiously and um, doing every step I take is is just because I want to make the music not because I'm worried about like is this going to sell are people going to like this you know and right. so we'll see what happens but I do want that freedom like you said and at least in in Holy Grail more so than White Wizard uh, it took all of my time and there, there were nights where I didn't sleep and I would just a 24-hour period of being at Danny's like go to Starbucks get a huge coffee with a shot uh, of espresso in the coffee and, and just <laughs> edit, 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 edit. There's a lot of editing on that album. So I was just like sitting there, you know, working all the time. And um, so there wasn't any time for me to like uh, get into any other music. And that's not good for me 
creative, creatively. Gotcha. And what did you take away from working so closely with Danny? Did you just said that you um, uh, sort of taking on a different skill set now with recording and everything mm-hmm. else? Um, did a lot of that come from working with Danny, or is that just something well, that just sort of came about? Not to, and I don't mean this, I'm not trying to say anything against Danny, but it didn't really come from working with him. It came from working on the album at his house. I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't really see him very much. I was, the house, he's got a really cool house. It's It's got like three different stories where um, he set up, you know, like vocal recording downstairs, and then he's got the main control room upstairs, and then uh, um, I was sort of on the middle middle floor doing like guitar and bass tracking and editing. And um, I didn't see him very much. I was kind of working on my own computer, doing my own stuff. So it wasn't that, that I learned so much from working with him as much as I just um, got really fast with shortcut keys and stuff, doing editing commands myself, you know, like um, not to take anything away from him. He provided the environment. I think that was his biggest um, – the biggest help that I think he gave to the whole album is he provided a – uh, a facility like he's you know it's it's his home actually that he's got set up for recording and um but it's a you know it's a full-on pro studio in there and um and so it and he was very welcoming you know stay here you can stay here as long as you need or whatever to, to get this done so you know we're using his kitchen we're using his fridge we're uh you know so it's so uh that's really uh what i what i took away from it though is just i think um just you know editing i'm I'm real quick with uh with the key with the shortcut keys now because i had to each note sliding everything into place you know a lot of notes i don't know right. how many thousands are on that album <laughs> and yeah it was, a, it was experience gotcha okay and uh was there any type of gear that you got to try out on this album that uh, you hadn't used in the past well, yeah, uh, not so much um, gear, but um, techniques. Reamping was huge on this album, and from now on, I, it's all I'll do. We, you know, all the guitars were recorded uh, direct, just dry, straight in, and then uh, you know, while you're playing it, it's being routed into an amp, and you're hearing it. And then I just started using plugins, uh, like amp simulator plugins. And then later right. in the mixing, you know, they, then they will send that clean signal into whatever amp they want to get the. So I honestly don't know what amps ended up being used in the very end because I wasn't there. But um, that process, that reamping process, it allows like the edits sound cleaner if you're if you're splicing two parts together because it's the clean guitar that you're messing with, and then it goes, you know, the amp hides any of that. So that whole reamping process. Another thing we did was um, uh, with the vocals, we'd, we'd sequence a track of notes like MIDI with like a MIDI plug, synth plugin, so mm-hmm. Luna could sing along to those notes, and that way it's that way you don't have to like you don't have to auto tune things so far away that it sounds like Chipmunks or whatever because he's got like a guide. <laughs> so constructing right. guide tracks for the vocalist, that's another thing, um, just stuff like that. And I learned a little bit about um, placing samples over drums. I didn't do any of that. Tyler Tyler actually did most of his own drum editing, and it. Uh, he was faster than any of the engineers that they had hired and uh, and subsequently fired when they messed it up. You know, that was one of the things that happened a lot in that album. Um, it was frustrating to everyone. You'd hire an a outside engineer that no one really knows, but we're under a, a time crunch. And that's, that's the thing that I think made it kind of suffered. It was like, oh, this got to be done by then. Oh, we got to hire someone to edit the drums. We get them back and they're, all the edits are bad, you know. So that, so right. that was just a waste of time. 
Tyler went in and he would do a song or two in a day and it was just done and fine. So um, I, I kind of watched over the shoulder uh, for that a little bit, but I didn't do any of that myself on the album. Gotcha. Okay. And as far as the gear that you're using now, um, mm-hmm. what if you were to go out in a live setting right now, what would you take with you? You know what I've learned, not so much from the studio, but just from touring, uh, you see the, the opening bands um, who are really giving a good effort to, to be professional, and they've got like a huge, like a racks of, of guitar processors <laughs> and a huge drum set, and, and it's like everything that's like the, the, the top-of-the-line thing from Guitar Center. And, um, but once you've been touring for a while, it's like, uh, that's the last thing I want. I want my guitar going into my amp. And then for me, because we're like a shreddy, you know, kind of a thing, I want a button that makes it louder for when I play a solo, you know. So uh, that's uh, – we were using a, a, um, on tour just the Crank uh, – at the time, Crank SST heads, which uh, have a solid-state power amp. People think, oh, God, it's not tube. You know, it's lightweight. Right. I have to lift that thing on top of someone else's head. On, on we we have like a five minute changeover between sets. So like, I just want not going to break down. Going to sound loud. Going to get on. You know, in and out quick. Going to work and simple. And so, what I'm going to take live is that um, uh, ESP guitars with EMG pickups. Um, I, I'm very appreciative to, to both EMG and ESP because honestly, as far as physical, uh, any kind of um, tangible rewards from the last four years of my endeavors that's all i have to show for it i have experiences uh you know uh, i have wrinkles on my face on my brow but i've got a couple of real good guitars with good pickups in them which still i'm still using and tracking with and you know so i would take those with me a high quality cable well we've had issues with wireless so i don't even i don't dare not delve into that and then just that's it. Live is, I try to keep it simple. Get on and off quick. Don't cut into the next band's, uh, you know, set time. Uh, make the stage manager happy because then he'll he'll help you out, you know. And uh, Right. That's it. As far as the uh, EMGs are concerned, what are you using? Uh, 85s, 81s? Uh, I use an 85 and an 81X. It's, um, the, 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 I'm huge on the X x series from them it's uh it's a little different than the 81 it's got a different preamp in it which acts like your uh gives you the headroom is as if you're using two nine volt batteries the 18 volt system but with okay. one with one battery at first when i got the um my uh guitars from uh esp uh it sounded cool but uh when i picked really hard it seemed to kind of flatten out it had like a, a limiting effect to it and right. then, uh, so I was talking with Scott from EMG, who's been very, uh, he's very just casual and just, you can ask him anything. And he said, you know, I, you know, I read on forums, you know, if you run it at 18 volts, it, it feels more like passive pickups, but it sounds like active. And so he said, oh, well, there's this new series we got. You should, and he sent me some and I've been using them. I've got a, yeah, 81 and an 85 in the neck. And then on the other guitar, I've got, I think they're 89 which is a splittable to like a single coil, which I used for the, uh, the clean sounds on the album. And the whole okay. crisis in utopia is all, all those. That's, uh, my, uh, it's a, uh, LTD V it's a V four Oh one or something like that. And the Eli used it for his rhythms too. It was, it was, it's all over the album. With uh Holy Grail, why did you guys decide to stick together after the whole white wizard experience? 
as I remember it exactly, you know, we were in a, uh, we had gone on a, a tour and, um, there were tensions as there often are. And, um, we got back into town, into LA and it was at the time we had another guitarist, Michael Clemente, Mike Vengeance, as we called him. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a good friend of mine. He's actually coming down this weekend where I think we're going to record a, a song for fun. And, uh, he, uh, he was still with us too. And, you know, uh, John Leon had, uh, he went somewhere. He, I don't remember where, I don't think he told us, but you know, he just, we got back from tour and he's okay. I'm going to go. I think he went up to the Bay area or something where he's from. Um, cool. You know, and then in his absence, and I know that's kind of, I can understand why he thinks we're like conspiring behind his back, but he, he wasn't there, you know? Um, we were talking, you know, I'm like just kind of bummed on the experience from the amount of tension that there was on the road in within the band and we through talking we realized you know we all like each other like i got along fine with the other guys i'm like you know i really want to stay in a band with you guys but i i'm gonna have to quit this band because it's giving me high blood pressure you know like i you know so and and luna i think said to me you know well i i still want to play with you whatever so we decided you know what let's just um we're not gonna like kick john out of the band because you know he's the one that um initially you know, he, he got me off uh, Craigslist and he, he was in, uh, for for a moment there, he was in jet fuel with uh, Luna and Tyler. So he kind of pulled in the, in the beginning, he pulled everyone together. And so, it's, and he honestly liked the music the most. We right. wanted to have a different sound. We were kind of, one of the things we were frustrated about was the writing was very limited in what we were allowed to do. And he, the guitars had to be tuned, standard tuning. We couldn't like tune, drop tune at all. So the stuff that we wanted to try, he, he wasn't cool with. So it was apparent to us that obviously, you know, he's the one that we we weren't getting along with, you know, uh, and I'm careful just to say, you know, we weren't getting along, whether I'm not blaming anyone, but um, so we just decided, you know, let's, let's keep going. And, and rather than like kick him out or something, we just decided we're all just going to quit and start a new band. Um, and so that's what we did. And then shortly after that, Mike uh, Clemente just decided to go back to Pennsylvania because L.A. and he's he's right. L.A. is a very hard place. And he was having he was living at the studio at the time. And, and so he, you know, was he has since come back after, you know, getting himself set up better. But, um, right. you know, so that's that's what happened there. And we were called Sorcerer at the time. Mm-hmm. And we had and then we had yeah. uh, Eric Harris for a while. Eric Harris. um Formerly Skeleton Witch, and now with uh, Gypsy Hawk, he was uh, our bass player for for a moment. In um, and he actually contributed a verse uh, to uh, Valhalla or Call of Valhalla, and um, and um, you know, the, and that was that. One thing led to another, and here we are. I, I guess from what you're saying, though, it was more along the same lines as uh, uh, sort of why you left uh, Holy Grail. It just wasn't fun to uh, be involved with well, that specific yeah. project i think with white wizard it was a uh, personality conflicts and creative differences 100 percent within the band the industry the music industry wasn't really involved in, in in white wizard we were we were our own industry you know we were funding it ourselves completely i was putting up money you know like we all put up i think tyler and, and john and i each put up i think it was like 866 dollars each or something to get that uh uh, the EP recorded, uh, we funded the tours, you know, we, uh, the first tour we did, we took, you know, my 
little Suzuki sidekick and John's station wagon and Tyler's PT cruise. We did a tour in cars. We, uh, it was, it was very much, you know, DIY, which now I actually prefer, but, um, so that, so the tensions were in the band. Holy grail. There were tensions within the band, but I think not enough where it, it would have been enough for me to leave just based on that alone. Really the industry monster that, uh, you know, uh, uh, emerged over time, uh, really is what put a bad taste in my mouth and kind of run me, ran me into the ground or whatever. And, and that's, I, I blame that more than the guy. I don't blame anyone in, in Holy Grail or anything. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's, yeah, the same. I mean, the situation gets, uh, trying. I try to stick with it because I don't want to just quit, you know, without giving it a shot, but then there's always that breaking point where, okay. Right. This ain't going anywhere, so. <laughs> and as far as the um, pressures within Holy Grail, do you think that stems from the airplay that, um, that for example, uh, High Speed GTO got in, in the end, even though you guys were no longer part of the band, that song actually started appearing in a few different places? Did that make prosthetic or try to get them to make you uh, put out something that was going to be as popular as that? No, I never, I, there was never any um, uh, link between here's, here's what's happening with wizard. You guys got to do the same thing. I mean, just like Megadeth Metallica. I mean, there's, of course there's that competition where it's like, Oh, like we don't want our product to, to sound worse than their thing. Although we all knew that people didn't know what to expect from us until we started releasing stuff, but we knew that it wasn't right. going to sound like white wizard. So I think it wasn't really a, an issue because it was going to be sort of apples and oranges uh, within metal. But um, right. there wasn't, there was pressure from the label. Absolutely. At least I felt it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a comparison to white wizard. In fact, the label was very careful to break any associations like, for a while, there was a talk about like uh, Eric Kluber perhaps playing bass in in Holy Grail, and I think someone said, "Well, you know, he's a great guy, whatever. Uh, maybe he's you know good bass player. He's mainly a guitarist, but um, right. But it's probably not good to have another link to to Wizard. Like it, it's not a good look for the band that like you're taking like former another former White Wizard guy or something. And so they'd kind of there's all kind of things like that involved instead of just like what's going to sound good? What's going to be cool music? What's going to look cool and sound cool? It was more like, well, strategically, if you get it, you know, it was all these like weird outside things about, you know, promotion and publicity and, and stuff, which uh, became more important than the music, in my opinion, towards the end there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, are you surprised that White Wizard has gone through so many lineup changes uh, since you were in the band? No. Uh, not at all. And, and, and we see this often, like when we met, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot his name. He was, he was a nice guy and everything that from, uh, Celador, the singer, he, uh, right. we, we were in, in England at the golden gods and met him and, you know, ran into John and, uh, John, every time I run into him, he's, he's nice, like in person when you, mm -hmm. when you run into him. And, um, and so we're just talking and, uh, Giovanni was real nice. We're, we're sitting there like, uh, and, and, and he's like, Oh, I'm oh, it's so excited. And, and, um, and he's talking about like, uh, Oh yeah. You, you could see the people when they join white wizard are excited. And then two months later you, online or something, I'll see something that they've quit, you know? And, um, 
you know, I'm not going to say like, you know, I, I recently there was like an article talking about like, oh, White Wizard is a scam. And then like, I think Eric and John are back and forth. I didn't want to get involved in that. I'm not saying that about it, but I will say that like statistics, like history has shown that most people seem to get um, frustrated in the situation. Um, uh, is I'm not saying that's John Leon, but he's the only constant. So, you know, look at what history says. I mean, he's he's um, a really good bass player and a very uh, he's got a uh, strong vision of what he wants to do. And so I think if anyone else, no matter personality types aside, if they have their own sort of uh, vision and it's not the same sound or it, they want to do things differently, it's not like he's going to bend and, and allow them to write a different kind of a song or, or, or approach things differently. And I think ultimately people get frustrated. Uh, so I'm not surprised about the, the amount of lineup changes. And I think that'll probably continue and honestly, it might be that way in, in, in Holy Grail, too, but for different reasons. You know, I think there's such a huge industry machine behind Holy Grail that uh, it's enticing at first for people. Oh, wow, what an opportunity. I get to go on this tour and I get to play in Europe or whatever. And then you realize, well, it's it's a lot of catching flights, last minute interviews, a lot of it's like a lot of um being told, you know, where to be and what to say to this guy. And, and it's a, it's a strategy game about, uh, promoting and, and schmoozing and networking. And if that's not your thing, if you, if you just want to play guitar, bass, whatever, uh, I think you end up getting frustrated. At least I did. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And, um, can you tell us anything about the uh, new project that you, uh, mentioned before, or you'd rather keep that on the download? No, for now? I, I would love to tell you everything about it. I mean, I, I recently been talking to the other guys, uh, and and we've just, you know, we we want to. I feel guilty because it's almost like I'm playing I'm playing the same stupid, uh, <laughs> you know, game of like timing things just right. But we just want to have things farther along. So I don't want to say, oh, it's going to be so amazing, it's going to be so awesome, and then like we're, we fall short of a deadline. That's Something that was happening, with, you know, with Grail, with the recording, was was uh, setting up deadlines only to setting yourself up for failure, I guess. But I, I can tell you what, uh, basically, after um, after uh, I left the Holy Grail, I was uh, talking to, you know, one of the gr things I'm grateful for for the whole experience is is people that I've met, musicians, anyone in right. the industry. I, I I'm very. Uh, 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 I'm cautious when I talk to anyone who's like a PR person or management labels. I'm a little, little, just a little cautious, but I loved pretty much every musician I met was, was really cool. We're all in the same place. No one's got any money. Everyone's sleeping on someone else's couch. And one of the guys I met was Chris from, uh, well, from Cauldron, but he's, he's in a band with his brother called Aggressor They're from Canada. And, right. um, I approached him because I had met him on, on tour with Holy Grail. We played with him once in San Francisco. Then we played with him again, in, uh, or we didn't play with him, but he came to our show in, in Canada. And um, and I said, are you doing anything right now? Because I'm looking for a drummer. At the time, I was trying to, I was sort of all uh, Mustaine-like, and I just wanted to, right when I left Grail, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to start my own band, and it's going to be better, you know, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, I'm human, so I'm not immune to that. And, um, so I, I was contacting him and he said, wait, you're not in a band right now. Oh, well, 
aggressors doing this tour in the U.S. Like, uh, well, we need a guitar player because their their lead guitar player uh, couldn't make it because of some work obligation or, or something. So I did right. that tour with them just as a fill-in. But along that that uh, that tour, I had a great time. It, it showed me that you know this can be fun. Uh, we were sleeping in a minivan, which is even smaller, and it, it was totally <laughs> poorly planned. No one had any money, but it was just way more fun. And uh, fart jokes. I mean, just it just it it sounds silly, but little things like that ease the tension. You know, in in Holy Grail, it's like the van travels thousands of miles. No one says a word the whole time. No music is played. Nothing. You know, so it's a very eerie kind of a silence. And and this was fun and everything. And uh, and along the way, I met some some people um, who I would love to tell you who they are, and and uh, you will be the first to know. But. And and uh, and I said, God, you guys like I really like uh, I really like this uh, guitar player, drummer, bassist trio, uh, and um, and I and I and I didn't, you know, they, I guess that apparently they were looking for a lead guy. So I, I had asked Chris, is it cool if I like, you know, I know I'm on tour with Aggressor right now. Is, is it cool if I kind of approach them about maybe playing for them? And he said, Oh, well, he actually already talked to me about you and you know asked me the same thing so when the tour was over i just we just started corresponding and uh i like the music a lot um I, um as a guitar player i think it's it's a good match um uh i'm i admit, i admit i'm not a very good rhythm guitar player i just i don't really focus on that so i'm i'm more of like a a marty friedman uh megadeth era marty friedman um where gotcha. you know my spoke my especially is the leads um, and then, mm-hmm. like, you need, like, a Mustang to kill those rhythms, you know. And so I think that's the kind of situation we got going on here. We've started writing um, and sending files back and forth. And the whole time I'm just, you know, you know what, I'm just going to do this, make the music awesome. And then I think the plan is, like, once it's recorded, uh, then if, 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 you know, we want to get a distribution deal or something, that's fine and good. But the main thing I want to do is have the, the music done first, produce it ourselves what's what's really i'm really excited about is that uh i get to mix and produce and um and it's within the band the music stays within the band creatively and then then we'll try to see if we can you know get someone to pick it up but we have plans um we got davy Voorhees who did the white wizard video who did um bonded by bloods video and who did right. a series of guitar instructional things with me and eli He's signed on to do our video, so uh, sometime around January, I'm hoping to get everyone out here uh, in Southern California, track the actual takes, replacing the demo versions, shoot the video, maybe go to the NAM show, try to get some, I'm trying to get them hooked up, hopefully with maybe ESP uh, if things go well, and uh, and then uh, go from there, make the announcement and uh, have a whole, you know, new band photos. Uh, there's always tricky things about it, though, because uh, um, I, there's the issues right now with the label they're on. They're just figuring out what, uh, what where they're going to be. And so there's a bunch of weird industry no-nos that I learned over the <laughs> ages. You can't like you can't approach one label if you're on another label. So you got to make sure, you know, it's all this all this uh, you can't step on anyone's toes. And so um as much as I hate a lot of that stuff, it, it is the system. And uh, if we want to get funding for a tour and, and whatnot, we got to play nice. So uh, yeah. make the music kick ass and then and then try to sell it. You know, that's kind of the thing. I'm, I wish I could tell you more than that. But <laughs> well, when when can we expect the big announcement? Um, 
Well, you know, um, the, the thing is, I don't want to set as much as I want to keep uh, a fire lit under us to keep us going. I don't want to set a date and then fall short. I want the, when when we have something together that's awesome. That's when it's you know then we'll. It's more about again, like I'm focusing on making the music awesome first. So there's no pressure of like, oh well, it's, it's kind of half-assed, but we got to release it because it's you know. Yeah. Uh, there's other records coming out, and we're going to be competing against that and all that stuff. So, but my plan is hopefully, you know, um, January, February, uh, uh, and th- what, we, as far as I understand, what we're going to do is uh, between one and three songs, we might do like a three-song deal and uh, and a video right away. Uh, I've always it, it, the world is different now. I mean, I discover most music through through YouTube. I don't right. like go to a record store. I don't even know where there is a record store in, in where I am now. And uh, so I want to do a video right out of the gate and um, and sort of sort of EPK style, like it's a video at the website and everything. They're already a band that already has uh, two full length albums out and uh, a couple other releases. So they're carrying some notoriety with them, but big lineup changes, different vocals, different vocalists now and stuff. So it's going to you know, we want to have the new sound in place before we tell anyone, because I think there'll be some preconceived notions of what it'll sound like. We'd rather have uh, the music done and then bam, listen to it, you know, and, oh, wow, this is what it sounds like now. Okay, cool. So we'll see what happens, but if nothing else, I'll have had fun and it'll be awesome sounding. (laughs) That's definitely sounds cool. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be bugging you within the next uh, two months or so and seeing if we can do a follow-up where we can talk a little bit more about the project. I would love to. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, this is James J. LaRue, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Shifting gears, I'm free 
a little Octane Gypsy by White Wizard. Um, a band that I've definitely enjoyed, you know, regardless of the lineups. Uh, I think that they've put out some decent stuff. Uh, I do also want to say that, you know, James was great to speak to. I interchanged uh, messages and whatnot with him uh, on Facebook before the interview, after the interview, and so on. Really down-to-earth guy. We actually ended up speaking for almost four hours uh, the night that we did the interview. There's a lot more in there, and we talked about music in general, different influences, different things that he'd like to do. Um, And it was very interesting. Um, Also, as you know... If if you guys have been keeping track of the show or if you heard the IDs in the beginning of there, I have spoken to Eric in the past, former guitarist of both Overloaded and White Wizard. I have spoken to James Paul Luna as well, uh, former White Wizard singer and current Holy Grail singer. And uh, all of them have been super cool with me. Eric as well, I speak to him frequently. And... Um, you know, again, all of them have been nice. I have been in contact with John Leone. White Wizard is currently recording a new album with their new lineup. Um, I'd really love to speak to him. You know, there's so many things surrounding uh, the band and a lot of different things that, you know, uh, James mentioned regarding him and that everyone else has mentioned uh, as well. Uh, I think it's very important for him to get his voice out there and let people decide, you know, uh, what what took place or what's taking place and whatnot. And, you know, as the uh, extreme album title goes, three sides to every story, your side, my side, and the truth. So you guys decide. Um, In any event, we hope to hook that up shortly. And, um, yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mars Attacks podcast. Remember that I also do Mars Attacks radio, which premieres or the episodes debut on Mark Striegel Radio. That is markstriegelradio.com. That's on the Live 365 network. So if you subscribe to Live 365, you can just search for Mark Striegel Radio and you'll find it. I'm on Stream A and we just recently uploaded a bunch of new songs, 250 to be exact. Um, let us know what you think. You know, you can send me an email directly at victor at marsattacksradio.com regarding that or regarding the show or anything that you might have in mind, any letters that we receive uh, that you want to have read on the air, we will be more than happy to do that and oblige and and read them on the air. Um, Also have a few other interesting interviews coming up. Uh, We're scheduling a bunch of different things at the moment. Uh, I know we've been touch and go and stop and start for a while there uh but we're trying to get things back on track you know unfortunately uh life hasn't uh been all that easy the last 18 or so months so uh we're trying to plug along and and get more uh interviews out there for you guys to listen to i also want to remind you that uh i have the fusion sonica podcast which is done completely in spanish that can be downloaded off of itunes as well or from fusionsonica.com there is also the Incoherent Ramblings of Victor M. Ruiz, and that's more of a freeform podcast. Sometimes I play metal on that, 
A lot of times I don't. It's just other things that don't quite fit in the box of Mars Attacks and that, um, you know, I love to get out there and talk about. Um, looking to set something up uh, with a wrestling commentator, actually exchanging a bunch of different um, uh, messages today. Uh, big wrestling fan since I was a kid and uh, want to touch upon some of that stuff. And uh, since there's a big event coming next weekend, would love to have a podcast out there uh, talking, or a podcast episode talking about uh, the upcoming Royal Rumble, which is one of my favorite events. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, also, remember, there is a Twitter group to follow. Um, there is also uh, MySpace and Facebook. You'll find... All of the links to that on the right-hand side of the MarsAttacksRadio.com website. So and you'll find times to when the radio show plays and previous podcasts. Uh, also remember that you can find the podcast on iTunes now. After all this time of going back and forth, we finally have that all taken care of. So once again, thanks to James for coming on. And uh, we're going to leave you with another track by Holy Grail. Again, check the album out. It is a very good album. And uh, check everything that James has uh, worked on, you know. And if you enjoy it, as I say, uh, support the bands you love. Go out there, buy the albums. If not, download the tracks you like off of iTunes. You know, these guys aren't doing things for free. And, you know, show them... Show them your support. So, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Um, Let's see. Let's play the title track off of Crisis in Utopia to wrap things up. Thanks a lot for listening, and see you next time right here on Mars Attacks Podcast. (laughs) 